1,000 better stories. Welcome to 1,000 Better Stories, the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network's podcast sharing stories of community-led climate action in Scotland to help us all imagine a better and fairer future beyond the new normal and transform what we think is possible. Hi, it's Kashka. I'm one of the SCAN's story weavers. Let me tell you about what's on offer in this episode. We will start with a recording of a story shared by one of the participants in Paul Bristow's workshop on finding, writing and telling our climate action stories to better engage others in our communities. We ran that in January. What follows is Philip Revelle's uplifting story from pilgrimage to COP26 with a couple of conversations about hope and coming together, beautifully illustrated with poetry and song. But let's start with a story of a personal climate journey from Bruce. It's called From Fossil Fewer Shirt and Tie to Fossil Free Heapy Guy. I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, I'm Bruce Donald. I'm Net Zero researcher currently at Thurisville Community Development Trust, way up in the far north of Scotland. But this story is a bit about my life before I ended up in this role and how I got here. It's quite an unusual life. So I think that's why I decided to tell it. I was really grateful that Scan put on these um, storytelling workshops and allowed us to do this. It's not something I've done very much before. I'm not a storyteller by trade by any means. So I'd encourage anyone else to have a go at writing their own um, stories of change as well, if you're listening to this. The story tells roughly my arc from starting off in quite a rural area, conservative area, I guess, in Banff and then ending up falling into the oil industry as it were um, as most young men did in my area and then how I kind of had a bit of a moment of crisis about four years into my my role there with the climate crisis happening I kind of had a crisis of my own crisis of identity really about what I was doing and kind of my inner child came screaming out and You'll hear a bit more about that in the in the story, and, and I'll, I'll leave it there. We'll see where we end up, shall we? I'm not going to give it all away. It's been a while since I felt lost, and that's not only because I studied geography for four years of my life. I found myself um, not behind blank computer screens, but surrounded by friends, feeling seen. My father, my father was an industrialist, a hard man, a tough man, a man's man a self-made man, a manly man, whatever. I lived many years in the shadow of this man and the shadow of others in a place bereft of community, bereft of real purpose. So I wake up one day and look in the mirror and there I am, a man's man, a self-made man, but that's not what I see. I just see a shell, a husk of a person who's long since forgotten who they once were. Projects. Progress, deadlines, deck layouts, drill rigs, more progress, more projects, more drawings, more designs, more progress, sprint drills, oil wells, the pressure swells until snap, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Inner child. Let's go back, back to a time before being a man was so important, when I knew who I was, 
living life through the eyes of a child. Turning over rocks, looking for bugs. Turning over pages, looking for big words like Tyrannosaurus Rex or Pterodactyl. Looking through the lenses of my first pair of binoculars at their more modern, modest, but still frightfully fascinating descendants. That was me. That was the real me. Not this shell of a man in a suit and tie, sitting in an office, working for a company whose sole purpose was to dig up those long-lost plant remains and burn them. What was all that about anyway? Fossil eater. Whatever, that's kids stuff. Now you have to find a job, make a living, make a success of yourself. Stop chasing butterflies and start chasing paychecks. That's the way of the world, right? Then, four years of being a man's man later, the penny drops. The straw that breaks the camel's back. Eyes long closed burst open once more. The voice of an inner child too long hidden away shouts, stop and look and see. Climate crisis, global warming, oil crisis. Friends ruthlessly cast away, made redundant like spare parts by a mindless machine. And suddenly this thing that you gave so much effort to built your future on looks more and more unstable, more and more ugly. The monster shows its ghastly teeth. I have to get out. I have to stop this monster that I helped build. Frankenstein's great experiment gone oh so wrong. It's eating the world, boiling the oceans, burning the forests. I have to understand what's going on here. Why is no one talking about the monster? Hold on, people are talking about the monster. Those outside the monster, who aren't already in its belly. The inner child's club, as I now like to call them. So I join this merry band. We fight the monster. We fight smart. We take away his food. Those things which I ate too when I was part of his underbelly. Those pound notes. Those millions and billions of blood money. The inner child's club. Our university life. Let's make a change. We are the youth of today. We are smart. We can see. We have to help the older ones whose eyes have glazed over to wake up. We help the planet heal. We plant trees, we go closer. We shout, we chant, we demand change, we grow closer. We live in harmony with each other, we learn to love one another, we grow closer. We make the change, we create the future we want, we grow closer. We're guided by the wisdom of great minds, those who have seen the monster grow and know how it works. The monster, it's not so big after all. We shrink it with our chanting, our worlds casting spells, which awake some of those inside, they escape, the monster shrinks further. It's getting angry now, it feels threatened, it bears those ghastly teeth. You need me, it shouts, you will perish without me. More forest fern, more people drown in the waves created by the monster's stampede. You don't need it, get out, we shout in reply to those still slaving away inside the mindless monstrosity. What happens next? Will the monster eat us all? Or will it shrink away, leaving us to carve a new way? I don't care much. I'm never lost these days, no matter where I am. I always know who I am. I always know what is and what is not me. Whatever the future brings, I'm proud now to be me. I will not rest until I help others to be free. Thanks, Mr. Monster. Thanks, Mr. Mansman, for showing me what not to be. Yeah, so like I was part of uh, Fossil Free Aberdeen uh, as part of my university. So when I was talking about 
in our child's club is really our, our group of activists within the university and friends um, who got together and over the process of 10 years managed to secure an agreement to divest fossil fuels from the university's um, investment funds, which was a, a really amazing thing to be part of. And and that was obviously a, a lot of great people who went into the, creating that movement and then me kind of joining on to the end of it and uh, seeing it over the finish line in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that's something that will stay with me for the rest of my life, like the kind of great feeling that we had as, as a group of doing that. And we're doing it online during COVID as well. Um, but we still managed to kind of stay together and the university was very receptive in the end. They, they've kind of had a culture shift recently um, around this issue and, and really changed from, are trying to change from being the, the fossil fuel university who trains people into oil and gas to hopefully being a sustainable energy university, which would be amazing um, and could save Aberdeen <laughs> in the long run or could be part of the solution to Aberdeen in the long run. So, yeah. That's that's where that part came from. Thank you very much for having me. It's It's been really fun to write it and, and share it with everyone. I don't know about you, but listening to Bruce's story gave me goosebumps. His personal journey captures so powerfully the dilemmas, the feelings and the transition our young generation are facing, especially in places where the fossil fuel industry dominates. I'm always blown away by the power and the diversity of personal and community stories shared during these workshops and through our 1000 Better Story podcast and blog. It's only with thousands of such better stories we will be able to shift the narrative and shift our communities to where they need to be to face the challenges of climate and ecological crises. If you would like to finesse your own storytelling and story sharing skills, To help bring about change in your own community, we have a number of hands-on workshops on offer over the next couple of months. The next workshop is on 24th of March and it's an introduction to podcasting, facilitated by myself and Katie Revell of the Farmarama podcast. You can find and book them all on the Scan Eventbrite channel. And now I will hand over to Philip for his piece on pilgrimage to COP26. Why are you walking? We ask ourselves and each other. As it's 9am and it's drizzling and we've all shown up to walk. In this moment we are pilgrims, whether for a day or a week. But why are we walking? Because we know that what's happening to our world is bigger than each and every one of us. Because sometimes we need to be like the geese, flying over our heads in Ever Lady heading in one direction, held together by one intention, bound in trust or hope as we pluck towards Glasgow in this moment in time from across these islands. Because sometimes we need to be like the geese. Because we know that what's happening to our world is bigger than each and every one of us. previous episode we heard from a range of community activists about their views and experience of last November's COP26 in Glasgow. 
There was a clear feeling that we can't rely on processes such as COP to put in place the rapid, radical, systemic changes that so many of us working at community level see as essential. But whatever else it did, COP26 coming to Glasgow did at least raise awareness of the climate crisis and gave many more people permission to start talking about it. However, given the very short time scale that we now have to bring about transformational change, there's a real danger of raised awareness leaving people feeling helpless in the face of the enormity of the challenge. For activists who may have been working on these issues for many years, there's a real risk of burnout. How can we best look after ourselves? How can we support each other better? How can we cultivate a sense of hope in the face of the interconnected and existential crises that we face? episode of A Thousand Better Stories, I want to share two interviews from the pilgrimage for COP26. This was a walk from Dunbar to Glasgow that took place in the two weeks immediately before COP. The first interview is with David G. David has recently published a book, Hope's Work, Facing the Future in an Age of Crises, which I thoroughly recommend. I spoke with David in the rather echoey corridor of a church hall in Falkirk. We had just enjoyed a fabulous meal cooked for us by Syrian refugees. We were still drying out after walking the last few miles of the day through a torrential downpour. The music is by the Freedom of Mind Community Choir, who welcomed us in Falkirk's Helix Park despite the rain. I give you and I'm here on the pilgrimage for COP26. I'm a writer and a campaigner. I've been writing about the place of hope in movements for social change and I'm a campaigner on social issues to do with peace and war and the ecological crisis. Okay and why do you think hope is important and how, how do we find hope? Without hope, really, there is no work for social change. So work for social change is an inherently hopeful activity. So the health of our hope uh, really um, is crucial to the integrity and effectiveness of our work. 
So we have to take care of ourselves as people of hope. We have to cultivate uh, our hope through practices which uh, enable us to remain engaged in a world when in many ways against the odds. So can you give some examples of particular sorts of practice that you're talking about? Or? Practices that cultivate hope are those that uh, bring us together, that enable us to um, remember the things that we, that we love and that matter to us, and to mourn the losses and to be able to process the grief that we experience in working um, with issues that can be very difficult. Uh, among the most fundamental ones are ways of coming together. Uh, ways of coming together, ways of remembering, ways of sharing, uh, ways of recommitting. Um, so that is done essentially with other people uh, and I would say it's also done uh, with the earth and in, in nature as well. I want to be here because I wanted to participate in a mindful way uh, in something that uh, was a response to the crisis at this time when the world is discussing what to do about it. I see this pilgrimage as a number of people who share a common passion and commitment for the earth, uh, who are coming together to share that with one another, to move through the landscape which is under threat, and to culminate it in Glasgow where the COP26 conference is taking place to, um, to, to give voice to that passion in some way. So for me the pilgrimage is a walk in hope, a very practical kind of hope which is um, in the earth and for the earth and of the earth. And when we are, when we are walking together we are, uh, that is I think as I understand it, that is our experience of what we're doing. How have you found it? So far, you've been on a pilgrimage for three days so far, I think, and what have you found and what surprised you maybe? Uh, it was very wet today. <laughs> it was um, um, a fascinating walk today through one of the largest oil refineries in Europe, uh, through a community park uh, where we were greeted by uh, children, a local choir singing for us, um, a tapestry that had been made by people all over the country which will be going to um, COP. So it's, for me it's a, it's a walk of contrasts, of difficult experiences and joyful experiences and that's really what uh, you could describe that as a practice of hope. But really we want to be, um, it, we want to be walking through the landscape uh, which is what we are um, we want to be in and around nature, which is the thing that um, which we know is under threat by the economic system we're in. So it's not just about thinking that change needs to happen, but 
being in the place that uh, is, 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 is the place that we love and we want to preserve. What, from your point of view, what, what would be the best, what, what do you hope for from COP? What would be the best outcome, do you think? I, I'm not very optimistic about the outcome of the conference. Um, I am hopeful that many people will come together from all over the world, will share with one another, will renew their commitment, will learn from one another, and um, after COP finishes, the movement that uh, is, is, is here to challenge the climate emergency will be stronger. That's where my hope is. It's not really in the conference room, it's about what's happening outside. Why am I walking? Because I want to be in conversation about the enormity of it all. I want to feel how others care with me and one encounter weaving into the next. Creating a rope to lead my way as I stumble forward into a future so unknown. Why am I walking? The second interview is with Olga Blurman, who worked with Jonathan Baxter to organise and lead the pilgrimage. I caught up with Olga a couple of weeks after the pilgrimage. I was keen to find out from her more about her motivation for joining the pilgrimage and her thoughts about the tension between the need for urgent action and the need to take time for the inner work necessary to look after ourselves and each other. So my name is Olga, Olga Bloemen. Um, I am based in Edinburgh, originally from the Netherlands. Um, yeah, one of my hats is I work as a, a trainer and facilitator with a collective called Tripod. Um, and through that, I, I support grassroots movements and community groups uh, who are working hard for social justice, ecological justice. And uh, yeah, we offer training and facilitation support, sometimes mediation. So that's the sort of thing we do. And I guess more generally, I, I have a big question in this time is how how can we support each other to show up to the crisis we find ourselves in with hope and as a movement rather than as an individual. And I guess that was partly what, what drew me to get involved with this pilgrimage uh, that we've just finished. Walking together is a really powerful way of connecting to hope. Um, as well as our, our grief for what is happening. So I got involved with the pilgrimage because um, I was invited by Jonathan Baxter, who was the main kind of driving force behind the pilgrimage. Um, he and I already had worked together uh, before, and most recently he had invited me and uh, as part of, part of a wider team to to offer an eco-spirituality program at a, at a St. Mary's Episcopal Cathedral in, in Edinburgh, where he's doing a, a residency with a longer-term aim to support the cathedral forward to um, become net zero and play a role in, the, in, the, in, in response to the climate crisis. 
so that work around eco-spirituality and and also Joanna, Joanna Macy's uh, work that we connect was a thread that I think he and, and I were keen to bring into the pilgrimage. And and so, yeah, so he invited me to be part of this project. And I immediately had a, felt a, a big yes. Um, I, for a longer time, had been really keen to bring to bring this work, especially the work that we connect more outside. <laughs> so to do that during a walk um, and to experiment with walking as a space for learning and as a space for connection really, yeah, really pulled me and interested me. So, so I mean, what we're really hoping for from the pilgrimage for, for yourself and for others. COP26 happening in Glasgow is is a very historical moment it has been a very historical moment but i guess i i had the sense that it won't wouldn't offer us any golden bullet uh, golden bullet and we've now seen that the agreement is very very weak and yeah isn't gonna save us from ourselves so walking towards cop 26 um, was for me and for others a way to to respond and be present with with this moment in time where we really need to take action and, and more action than we have been so far on transforming everything we do and like the, the way we are with each other, the way we are, um, the way we work. And and rather than hoping that our leaders will solve that for us, um, focusing more on what can we do collectively, um, more at a, a grassroots and community level. And some of the ingredients for that, I think, is is... For me, at least, connecting more closely with the kind of what you can call bioregion or the kind of just local area that I'm part of. And, and the pilgrimage really allowed me to learn a lot more about the ecology of this land, the uh, layers of history here, the many layers from the glaciers to through the the Romans, through the more recent industrial history and, and forming connections with different communities and projects along the way as well. And and I think it's those connections that can help us to to really make that shift together that we're that we're needing right now. And I think walking um, is almost like zooming out of the urgency of it all and and taking time out of our daily lives to to reflect and to learn and to connect with each other felt like something that would hopefully resource us for the hard work that is ongoing for all of us um, also joyful work and you know especially when it's done in community and in in the way maybe some of the ways that we did it during the pilgrimage that that had such elements of connection and and awe and wonder as i said as well mm-hmm. oh, very good yeah and i was going to ask you a bit more about that actually because i think you wrote something on the, the need to slow down and take time to reflect despite the the urgency of the situation so this is difficult balance there I mean do you want to say anything more about that yeah it's a real there's a real contradiction between the urgency um, and yeah the climate science telling us that that window of time that we have to avert the worst consequences of climate change is closing and closing and closing and but at the same time the deep work that is required um, that isn't the technological and the quick fixes, but it's actually a, a work at a level of, yeah, deep values actually, and 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 deep, like really re reconsidering our relationship to ourselves and each other, and the more than human 
And it's almost like we can't make that big shift if we haven't done that deep work. But do we have time for the deep work in the window that we have? And I think for me, that's a constant tension in my life of like, I, I'm so, I'm really concerned about our future and I want to, I want to do something and, and I get into that urgency mindset. Um, and then at the same time, feeling like in order to do that deeper work with myself and, and with others, I need to slow down. Um, and also being exhausted and burned out is not going to support the struggle longer term because it needs all of us, not not just this month or the two weeks during COP, but you know for the next decades, this is our work. So, um, yeah, so how can we step? I think Alison McIntosh called it like, how can we step more deeply into our humanity and and it doesn't go it does that we can't do that in a uh, go 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 ah, blah, that kind of state of mind um yeah so yeah i don't know what the answer is but it's a real tension i think in in the climate justice movement yeah thank you so can you tell can you tell me a bit more about the work that reconnects and what aspects of the work that reconnects did you manage to use during the pilgrimage or how, how did it all together yeah the work that we connect um was quite a subtle threat in the in the pilgrimage but yeah for those of you who are less familiar with with that work it's, it has roots back to the kind of nuclear disarmament movement in the states where a great activist and scholar uh, joanna macy developed this initially as despair and empowerment work that was the initial uh, title and now it's more called the work that we connect and it's a form of group work that's very experiential um that explores um how we can respond to the to enormity of the crisis we find ourselves in in a more resourced way um so she initially developed it to actually resource activists who are very much on the front line and and she saw kind of burning out around her um which i think is still as much an issue for activist groups now as it was in the 80s especially as the climate crisis becoming more more and more urgent um so yeah i guess elements of the work that we connect that were that we wove into the pilgrimage were um giving space to both gratitude which is always the kind of starting point of the work that we connect so really tapping into our sense of awe and wonder for the natural world that we're part of but also for for each other and that and and kind of rekindling gratitude as a resource for our activism. And I think the the pilgrimage just did that by by being outside so much in the beauty of it all along the coast, along the canal, in the autumn colors. But we also gave yeah we also through different activities and through our silent walking. I think as well that we had every day we tuned into that. But then there's also the grief and the work that we connect seeks to give space for people to share grief about about the yeah the the losses we see around us and the the sense of yeah crisis in this world um to share that grief with each other in community because there's a recognition that all of us feel it in different ways or numb ourselves to feel it um but that there is a, a need to hold it together um because when we hold it together it it, it can support us to stay engaged i think and, and it it needs a place so um so the grief yeah it was it was bubbling up in different ways i think during the pilgrimage in our conversations with each other because we all came together to um to walk to cop 26 and out of a concern about the climate crisis so so i i think as we walked 
yeah, there was a kind of permission, which isn't often there, to actually talk with strangers about this time and how we feel about it and our concern around what's happening. And and even that in itself, I think, um, is supportive and, and even empowering to, to realize, oh, I'm not alone caring about this. But then we also, we did a deep time walk uh, in Edinburgh where we reflected on the long earth history and then the very short bit at the end where us humans have had such a big impact. Um, so in the reflection around that deep time walk, um, some of our grief came up. Also in Bonnes, we were hosted in by Take One Action and we watched a really powerful documentary called in- Anoti's Ark, where we learned more about the Kiribati Islands and the struggle, their struggle to survive with rising sea levels, um, which, yeah, brought up a lot of grief and, and some space to, to process that with each other. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And could, could you say a bit more about some of the groups that hosted us? And, um, and were, were there any particular highlights or things that surprised you about the pilgrimage? Hmm. Something quite special about the pilgrimage was that it was a collaboration between organizations that maybe were not have not always worked together um, before. So, so yeah, um, climate community climate groups to um, faith organizations to art organizations um, to choirs to yeah and and that bringing together was really powerful and I think shows us or showed me the the resources we have here in um, in this in this area like you know there's so many amazing organizations that are uh, working in their own way already on creating a world we do want to live in and 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 also just getting a sense of the resources we have among us if when we when we kind of open out to each other and realizing yeah those resources are there in terms of people and you know people caring and people being up for supporting each other but also more um you know more practical resources or physical resources like like buildings that people can sleep in and kitchens that food can be cooked and community gardens where um where food is being grown and soil is being tended for and mini mini buses that are electric that community trusts uh, have and that you know that supported us during the pilgrimage by um, transporting our our luggage there are artists who have amazing ways to engage us with with soil or with the climate crisis and um, there are organizations like scan who have ways of telling these stories and and all of those resources were suddenly surfaced in in support of this pilgrimage and and that was really beautiful to see and really humbling as well that the, the big generosity um, that, that those of us who were able to walk encountered every time we arrived somewhere and, you know, that warm welcome and, and all that love and care that had gone into that. Yeah, that was really amazing. And and I think it's what this time needs as well. That's that's that sense of trust in each other, you know, both of us arriving somewhere and, and those kind of hosting this random group of people that just knocked on the door. But also, yeah, reciprocity and and tapping into the abundance and the community resources that we do have, um, and that we can, yeah that we can use to take care of each other and our basic needs um, in a in a way that that doesn't cost the earth as well. Yeah, so something really amazing about that hospitality and generosity. That's yeah. Yeah, that was certainly one of the things that yeah I, I was most. Um 
touched and humbled by, I suppose, really was yeah, just the, the, the hospitality that was shown to us and, and just yeah, the number of different engaged groups along the way that we encountered it was really quite, um, left me feeling quite positive, actually. Um, I mean, what, what will you remember most from the pilgrimage in the long term, do you think? I think one of the things that I will remember most is those mornings when uh, those of us who would spend the night in some kind of church hall somewhere would come out and, you know, we had packed our backpacks and rolled up our sleeping mattresses. We were probably still a bit tired. And then we would come out and at the meeting point, suddenly 20 or more people would arrive out of nowhere, you know, people just joining for the day and showing up. And you're like, where did they come from? And and I think that's happening every day again. And all, of course, all of the other support we received as well along the way just gave me such a sense of, wow, there's so many of us who care about this, you know? So many of us who, who yeah, who traveled far and wide to be there <laughs> and walk um, and join this walk. And, and so, so I will really remember just that sense of being a collective um, you know, so looking back, looking ahead of us, um, when we walked the coastline um, from from um, North Berwick to uh, Musselboro, wherever it was, and just getting a sense of that that string of people that was were all engaged in conversation or engaged with observing where we were. And yeah, I think you know, so in daily life, you can sometimes forget how many people care because you can't you can't look in people's heads and you you can feel quite alone and everyone seems to go about their own business and you're like but there's a crisis you know ah why is no why is no one else um engaging with us with this seemingly and i think it's the power of people showing up to the pilgrimage and showing up to this crisis with with a sense of yeah i do want to i i care about this and i want to be with others to make change happen um i think that's that's something i will remember most yeah and the courage that takes as well um, step coming along to an unknown place, an unknown group, uh, maybe, and and saying, yeah, I'm I'm up for being taken out of my comfort zone and 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 being part of this because I know it's needed. Because I want to slow down enough to see the leaves turn many shades of yellow and their dry corners curl up quietly. I want to quiet down enough to hear the end of the year rustling in the sycamore trees and next year's spring starting silently in the buds. I want time to warp and the days to open out. I want to go at the pace of the places we're passing through. Did we set off two days or two months ago? I want to remember that every day is a good day for walking and that rain and wind and clouds and sun are all just momentary companions. Nothing really lasts. I want to remember that change is constant. Glaciers, Roman walls, 
rubbish dumps, mining pits, nothing really lasts. Why am I walking? Because I want to smell the stench of the dead whale on the shore. I want to notice the shells under my feet change shape from beach to beach and how each stretch is its own community of creatures. I want to wish the geese a good journey south. I want to step deeper into this world. I want to walk myself into belonging to this land and the skyline of Edinburgh coming closer step by step. I want to feel in my body how each town is connected to the next and how the canal links east to west. I want to see the wild waves crashing onto the promenade of Preston Pens. I want to ask how much the sea will rise and what will become of this path, this stretch of coast, this lonely house. I want to know whether the beach we're walking on is really made of microplastics instead of grains of sand. I want to know why this bird died and the whale, the whale. I want to know what it means to walk in hope against all odds or because of it. I want to have more questions than answers. I want the wind to blow away my to-do list and all the things I think I know and should. I want to be asked where I'm going, not just where I've come from. To be a pilgrim is to make each step sacred, Alistair McIntosh said as we began. And Khalil Gibran said that work is love made visible. And the walk is our work and our practice of loving this world. In this moment... We are pilgrims. Whether for a day or a week we are pilgrims, humbled by the hospitality of soup and baked tatties, simple things, unquestionably held in care. Another world is not only possible, she is on the way. We sang as the full moon rose. We are pilgrims. We are on the way. It's 9am and it's drizzling and we have all shown up to walk. That's all for our February episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We have put links to relevant resources and people in the podcast notes, including a link to our upcoming workshops and our mini grants for contributors to 1000 Better Stories podcast and blog. Till next time, take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and maybe even a review. It will really help us reach a wider audience. If something exciting is happening in your own community, be sure to let us know so that we can help you tell your own story. Or maybe you would like to join our 
brand new storyteller collective. You can drop our story weavers a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. To keep up to date, check out our website at scottishcommunities.org.uk or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or simply sign up to the newsletter.